good evening. It's uh, really wonderful to be with you. I want to uh, thank the young man who picked Psalm 136a uh, in the Red Book. We don't sing from the Red Book in our congregation anymore, but that's one of my favorite psalms. I wrote my Hebrew exegesis paper on it, and uh, one of the points of that is it's really important to sing the whole thing. Uh, but I want you to know, Eric, that we can still be friends, too, just like the young man who picked it. Uh, but, you know, I, I hope that you go to bed tonight with a longing to sing about the Red Sea being parted and Cyan and Og going down and all that good stuff, too. Uh, it's a great psalm. It's uh, just sing the whole thing next time. That's my exhortation. Well, we're going to turn to John chapter 1. And uh, in the, the Gospel of John, uh, you know that the, uh, John the Apostle is uh, writing about uh, who Jesus is, and he says at the end of the book that he is writing so that uh, we might know that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And so uh, as he structures the book, there's the prologue and the epilogue that are about the same length, and then as a sort of fascinating feature, he gives great attention to the last week of Jesus' ministry, and he also gives great attention to the first week of Jesus' ministry, which is here in chapters 1 and 2. You'll see the repeated phrase, the next day. And so we're going to look at uh, two of these days in the ministry of our Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, this, of course, is when John the Apostle uh, heard the preaching of John the Baptist, and he saw Jesus for the first time, and then he became a follower of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to begin by reading in verse 35, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. But let's pray before we do. Lord, your word gives light, and we thank you that it gives life to us. We thank you that it points us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that that same Lord Jesus is not only one we hear about in this passage, but we thank you that these are your very words, Lord, and that tonight it is your will that you would speak through your word from heaven itself so that we might hear the voice of our good shepherd. And we pray that you would give us grace that we might have uh, faith in our hearts, that we might have eyes to see by the power of your spirit the truth that you would reveal to us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's word, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, that's John the Baptist, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, uh, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophet wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, 
Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word, which we pray he would write on our hearts today and forever. Just a few weeks ago, our governor uh, unveiled a new uh, campaign for our state, and uh, it is uh, designed to be used by uh, anyone in any organization uh, that wants to advertise something going on in the state. And uh, the, the basic caption is, blank in Indiana. So you could uh, uh, license this, and you could use it for the congregation here to say, worship in Indiana, and uh, use the logo. Uh, states are always trying to uh, come up with ways to sort of brand themselves. And uh, one of the most famous of these stories, of course, in the state of Indiana is from the early and mid-1980s. Uh, the slogan for the state back then, promoting uh, in-state travel and uh, commerce, was Wander. Some of you may still have your Wander Indiana license plate hanging on your garage wall. I don't know, but they were these uh, very famous license plates, uh, white and red and yellow and green and uh, at the top it simply said wander and the word wander was bigger than the the font for the word Indiana uh, so much so that many people began to wonder if wander was another state uh, but the people who did see Indiana there on the license plate then began to wonder well is wander just a really big county uh, no, it's just the state's new slogan, and there was a song, Wander Indiana, that some of you may remember hearing. It was a jingle that was on commercials, and uh, again, it wanted to promote the idea that you should just go out and wander the state. Well, of course, the problem most of us have in life is that we're just wandering around without a sense of direction, and this was where John and his uh, friends found themselves in their early days, and when they came to Jesus... They didn't find someone who gave them a slogan that just said something like, wander. No, what does Jesus do when he comes on the scene, and what does he call his people to do? It's very simple. Look at verse 35. He's speaking here to Philip, and he says these two words, follow me. Follow me. That's what we're called to do by Jesus as he's introduced to us in this passage. And what does it look like then for us to follow? Well, this evening we want to look at five different experiences you will have or five different aspects of, of your experience of following the Lord Jesus Christ because this is a word that's given not just to Philip, not just to Andrew or to John or to Peter, but this is the calling of our Savior to his people throughout all of the ages. Their calling as apostles, as disciples, was unique in certain respects. 
but in other ways, this is simply the invitation, and it is the command of your Savior this evening. So what is it that we can expect when we begin to follow Jesus? Because again, uh, as you look at the outset of the passage, we're told that John is standing there with two of his disciples, and one of these is pretty obviously by implication the author himself. It is John the Apostle. He's reflecting upon his own experience as he came to know Jesus. And the first thing that we see goes on when we begin to follow Jesus is that we have to, first of all, wrestle with why it is that we're following. The experience of John and of Andrew here are are perhaps not all that dissimilar from the experience of lots of people. John the Baptist has been preaching and he's told people to uh, behold the Lamb of God on an earlier day in the week pointing to Jesus and Jesus comes on the scene once again and he says the same thing, behold the Lamb of God. And so these two disciples hearing him speak, they turn and they see Jesus and they follow him. Pretty simple. They begin to walk after him. And then there's this interesting exchange that comes where Jesus turns, as we see in verse 38, and sees them following, and he says, What do you seek? What do you seek? Why are you following me? And as we hear about Jesus for the first time, and we begin to get interested in him for one reason or another, we need to be ready because Jesus is always looking at those who are following him. And there's this question that he asks his disciples, what do you seek? What what are you looking for? And sometimes we don't really know the answer to that question. We we, we may not fully be Uh, at peace with what's going on in our own hearts. And you see this kind of response for John and for Andrew. They said to him, Rabbi. And then it's almost as though they don't quite know what else to say. So that they they ask the question, well, uh, where are you staying? They, They just sort of stutter out this kind of an answer. And then you see Jesus answer to them. He just very tenderly says to them, just come and see. Come and see. Jesus, as he is presented to people, and you think back to maybe the very first time you started following Jesus, or maybe if you're considering following him even here this evening, but have never really done so before, you have to ask, well, why, why would I follow Jesus? And uh, this uh, passage here in John is, is precious to me personally, because uh, a man who was your former pastor, uh, Roy Blackwood, back in the 1950s, uh, led my grandparents to faith in Lafayette, Indiana in 1965 uh, through a study in the book of John. He was living in Indianapolis, and he would drive up there every other week, and uh, there was a whole group of unbelievers who uh, were at a really discouraged place in life. Uh, They were facing a lot of failures, and they began to gather in someone's home to hear the word of God expounded. They didn't really necessarily know what they were looking for. And uh, the beautiful thing about what happened in that home is that the the owner, who was a a Christian himself, uh, had enough foresight to record those lectures, record those Bible studies that were led. And so I have the privilege of hearing in this recording the people reading around the circle and listening to my unconverted, then unconverted grandparents, reading uh, various texts of the scripture and the interaction that goes on. And... uh, They came to faith a few weeks later as a result of that study. But Dr. Blackwood, in opening this first chapter, he he talks about how uh, when a person begins to think about following Jesus, they may not know 
why they're following entirely. But they were called to behold the Lamb of God. They were recognizing that they needed someone who could take away their sin and their shame and and their failings. They needed someone who could pay a price that they couldn't pay, which is what the Lamb of God was to do when the people of Israel were coming out of the land of Egypt. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't resent people who have questions for him and who maybe don't even entirely know what their questions are just yet. But what does Jesus say to you, even as you wrestle through why you're following Jesus? You need to hear the tender heart of this Savior who just simply says, come and see. Come and see. You don't have to have all the answers right now. You you just come and see. And what did they do? They came and they saw, verse 39 says, where he was staying and remained with him that day. They came and saw where he was staying or abiding, and they abided with him or abode with him that day. And you recognize that sort of verbiage and that sort of terminology, because where does John take it in John, uh, where does Jesus take it in John chapter 15? That you have to abide in him if you're going to have life. So what these disciples did here in this first case is they they just came and they lived under Jesus' teaching. And that's the invitation of Jesus to you tonight. Just, Just come abide with him day by day and week by week and come and see who he is. And you can go home and you can read the rest of the book of John, even tonight or through the course of this week, and you'll see a lot of these themes being unpacked through the rest of the book. But the invitation, even if you don't know why fully, you're following is you just come and see and Jesus can take every question you've got and he can uh, answer all of your concerns and all of your wonderings and far far more than that so you start by wrestling with why you are following the second thing is you come and you'll see who Jesus is and we lean into this already right you come and you abide with Jesus even if you don't fully understand, you'll begin to see something of who he is. And in the passage that we've read, there are actually a number of different expressions or titles that are given regarding Jesus. Look at verse 36. He is called the Lamb of God. He's the one who's come to take away the sin of the world, as the passage has, as the earlier part of the chapter has already taught. Secondly, he is called Rabbi, or one who is teacher, in verse 37. He's someone from whom you will learn for all of your days. Uh, He is called here by Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, when he goes to to get his brother. As you see in verse 41, he's called the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. They were looking in this New Testament era for the one who would be the fulfillment of the perfect prophet and priest and king. All of those offices and officers were ordained of the Holy Spirit. They were anointed by him in the Old Testament. And now they're recognizing Maybe not fully recognizing it, but they're recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who's the fulfillment of uh, these promises of the Old Testament. And they brought him to Jesus. He says in verse 42, here we have his name, which is given to us, which means the Lord saves. So he is the expression of the Lord's salvation, as we see by his title. And then you 
see other expressions that are given. He is Jesus of Nazareth, we're told in verse 45. He's one who has come as the son of a carpenter. He's born of a woman. He comes to the lowest place, even to a little village like Nazareth. And you'll see these things unpacked for you as you see, as you read more of the book of John. And then in verse 49, Nathanael, after hearing of who Jesus is and seeing that Jesus is able to know where he was sitting the day before, even though Jesus wasn't even around, right? Jesus was nowhere near, but he was sitting under a fig tree. And Jesus comes and tells Nathanael, I saw you under the fig tree. And Philip, uh, and, and rather Nathaniel recognizes there's something unique about him, and he says, "You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel." And then, of course, Jesus' favorite designation for himself in chapter one, verse fifty-one, uh, he calls himself the Son of Man. He's the fulfillment of all that was promised there in the book of Daniel. Uh, as we see uh, the vision being given to the prophet in Daniel chapter 7. We're not going to go into all of these uh, here this evening. We could spend uh, a whole hour on each one of those titles. But you just need to see that when you come and see who Jesus is, you're going to understand with greater depth and fullness who this man is. Through all of these titles, through the works that he does, you'll see that he is uh, the Son of God and that he is the only redeemer of men. And it's a great joy and delight if you begin to follow Jesus. The greatest treat in following Jesus is what? Knowing Jesus. It's a great joy and a delight because he is risen from the dead this first day of the week. He is on high, and he has come to be known by his people and to be followed by them. And as you draw near to Jesus, you will find that he draws near to you in ways that you can only imagine. So we see, secondly, that we will see who Jesus is. And this was quite a personal thing to uh, the Apostle John. If you look at verse 39, you see that as he thought about his first encounter with Jesus, he remembered even what hour it was. He says it was about the tenth hour. He knew exactly when he first encountered Jesus in this kind of a way where there was a, something fresh in the relationship. Some of you uh, may remember that very moment in your own life when Jesus captured your attention or when you began to at least recognize that he is the man that you need to know. And those are very precious memories to the people of God. And this leads us then into the third experience that we'll have as we follow the Lord Jesus. That is that like these disciples here, you will be changed. You don't just have questions that come and you don't just get to know who Jesus is externally, but you yourself are changed by him. And you see this perhaps most explicitly as Jesus is addressing Peter. Uh, he's addressing Peter in verse 42. Andrew has gone to Peter uh, and he said, hey, we, we found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. When, when Jesus comes to people, he's able to look at you, and he's able to say, you know, 
I know your dad, Jonah. I know who your mom is. I know what your name is. And why does he know all of that? Well, because he is the word incarnate. He's the creator of all things, as you see in the first few verses of John chapter 1. He knows everything about you. And he doesn't just know everything about you. He knows everything about you, including all the things you wish he didn't know about you. But in spite of that, what does he say to Peter? Here's Peter, this, this rough-and-tumble fisherman, and as we uh, begin to see more of him through the book of uh, John's Gospel, uh, we begin to find out he's really quite a character, and Jesus knew all that, but he says, you are Simon, you shall be Cephas, you shall be Peter. What Jesus is saying is, I am in the man-changing business, Peter. You are, but you shall be. Jesus is taking ownership, which is what happens when we give names. We have a dog that showed up at our house, and our children had been pleading for a dog for a long, long time, and we have all kinds of practical reasons not to have a dog, right? But a little over a year ago, this dog showed up uh, bedraggled in the cold, and it was a, a February day, and so the children brought it in, and I was gone, and, but, you know, it was raining outside, and what could they do? And... Uh, I mean, we couldn't just kick the thing back out. It didn't have tags or anything. And so before you know it, of course, we can't find the owner. It's not tagged. It's not chipped. But it's three days later, and we're still waiting for the end. And no owner ever came, and we never found uh, to whom this dog belonged. And by this point, it had wormed its way right into our hearts. We, of course, didn't know what its name was, and it couldn't tell us what its name was. So we named it. And when we gave her the name Bell, it was a sign of our ownership. You name something, you own it. And she began to respond to that name. Jesus here is giving names. He, he's saying to Peter, uh, you, yes, you've been Simon, but you're going to be Cephas. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be one upon which I'm going to build my whole program of the church, which is really quite a fascinating thing as we look at Peter. Uh, he's, a fast, he, he's a character with whom uh, John is fascinated. It, it's an interesting feature here that in John, he always withdraws himself into the background. Uh, John was a, the disciple that Jesus loved, of course. He's known for being a bit more uh, meek and mild, but he really had his eye on Peter. And uh, some of you may know uh, Rich Gantz, who's pastor of the Ottawa Reformed Presbyterian Church for uh, many years. He's uh, retired now, and uh, Rich was a, a very high-energy individual. Um, if you ever knew him, you, you knew that life didn't ever slow down uh, with Rich. And uh, he was uh, unconverted in his college years, and then he was uh, later converted. And uh, in his college years, he was an activist for all kinds of things, just because that was his personality. And he was always doing something, leading protests on campus uh, in New York City uh, or, or causing some sort of trouble one way or another. And at a certain point, he went back to his college reunion and he found uh, that there was another student from his uh, same year who had been uh, in cinema, some sort of cinema program. And uh, he, he came to Rich and he said, you know, I've always thought you were an interesting guy. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, your whole four years in college, that we were in college together, I filmed you those whole four years because I just thought you were so interesting. And he wanted to, to see how Rich would develop and what he would become. 
I don't know if that man had any opportunity to follow him into his Christian years. But this is a little bit of what we see here with the Apostle John recording what happens in the life of the Apostle Peter. And it starts right here, where Jesus says to Peter, you are Simon, you shall be Cephas or Peter. And Jesus is still doing the same thing in the lives of people. If you want to follow Jesus, look out. Because he's going to change you. And you are not going to remain the same as you were. He is going to transform you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And and you may see yourself as a round peg. But guess what? Where Jesus has a square hole that he's decided you're going to fill, you know what you're going to become? You're going to become square. And he's going to change and transform you and make you uh, what you think you aren't. He did it for Moses when Moses said, listen, I'm I'm not of smooth speech. You you go with my brother Aaron. No, he said, you're my man. And the Lord was going to make Moses his servant, uh, the one who would be the prophet, that would be the model uh, which Jesus would follow when he would finally come into the world. How does Jesus want to change you? How does he want to use your personality? I don't know exactly, but he will. He will transform you by his word and by his spirit and by the people who are around you in the church, and he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness to make you what he wants you to become. Well, he is in the business of changing his people. The fourth thing that he does then for his people as we follow Jesus is he puts his people on a mission. Puts his people on a mission, and you see this, uh, this pattern repeated, right? We see Andrew going to get his brother. We see Philip going to get Nathaniel, and so on and so forth. Uh, these people who have encountered Jesus and begin to realize that there's something in Jesus worth following, and they begin to realize that, that they will be changed, they've got to drag their friends into this as well. Now, of course, they would end up having a unique role as an apostle that you and I don't have, But nevertheless, all of us are called, as the people of God, to be involved in making disciples of all nations and bringing our friends and our family members along with us. Leon Morris, one commentator, says, one of the best services you can render is to point someone to Christ. It it may seem like a, a very simple thing, but it's one of the most profound things that a person can do. When I was a young boy, my mother uh, started to uh, reach out to people in our community, and uh, we lived in a small town uh, where there were a number of churches, and there was a joint uh, vacation Bible school in the park, and uh, she started to help with the teaching there, and then there was this idea that we should continue this uh, somehow through the course of the year. So there was one person in the small town who had a a little dance studio above her garage, and she said, well, you can use the dance studio. And so on Thursday afternoons, uh, any kid who wanted to come from the local public school to uh, what we called the Andrew Club, they could learn about Jesus. And the whole goal was that children, when they came, would be free to be like Andrew of old and to bring their friends, to bring their brothers to hear about Jesus. And you know what happened? People started inviting their friends. And the place filled up. And so at this point, the Methodist church offered their building and the pastor there loved to cook. And so he said, how about, how about you come and you have the teaching and the singing and the missionary stories and all of these kinds of things and then I'll feed them all afterwards. And so busloads of kids started to come. 
and they began to hear about Jesus as they invited uh, those who were near them. And the Lord used that that program over a period of several years. And uh, my mother has still even recently had those who've come up to her and say, you you remember those times? Well, that's when I came to know Jesus. It, It doesn't take a lot necessarily, but we are put on this mission by Jesus Christ to look around at at who's around us and ask, who does Jesus want to change next? And to bring them to come and see. And again, this doesn't have to be complicated, right? Often you reach a point where you you become fearful. Well, what would I say if they have a hard question? And uh, one of the best things you can do if you want to become effective in leading other people to Jesus is learn some really simple phrases. One of the best phrases that you can learn that will help you almost more than any other is to to simply learn the phrase, I don't know, right? It actually takes away a lot of the fear that might fill your heart. What do you say if somebody says, asks you a question that's just too hard for you and you don't know the answer? You just have to say, I don't know. And then you learn the next phrase, which is the very phrase here that Philip, in verse 46, uses with his friend uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel asks this question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip's kind of, I don't know, right? But what does he say? Come and see. Come and see. Now, hopefully this isn't discipleship that's too high a level for you, okay? When I graduated from high school, and I know there may be some recent graduates here, Uh, You know, I'd been filled now with uh, four years of knowledge that I'd learned in high school. There was one uh, card that I got for my graduation that has been more memorable and more helpful to me than any other. And uh, it it simply said on the front cover, uh, as you graduate, I want to give you two words that will uh, open many doors for you. And you open the card and it said, push and pull. Every time I try to go through a door the wrong way, I remember that card that I got. Life is pretty simple. You just have to boil it down to some of the basics. Push and pull will open lots of doors for you through life. And when you want to see other people come to Jesus, you just have to learn the simple phrase that Philip used here. Come and see. Where should you bring them? You should bring them to church. You should bring them to your other Christian friends. You may not have all the answers, but God's given us his answers in his word. He's appointed those who preach and teach and help to answer these kinds of questions. And as people come to Jesus, they will see who he is. They will behold him and they will be changed and it will bring great joy to your heart. It's been said that there's no one who's ever told a friend about Jesus, shared the gospel, And ever walked away thinking, wow, I really wish I hadn't done that. It just doesn't happen. We may be scared to death of it going into it, but on the other side, are we ever sorry? No, there's actually something exhilarating about it because Jesus is exhilarating. And when we've come to know him, we realize there's something beautiful in him to behold and others really need to see it too. And so it can be as simple as just simply saying to other people, come and see. This ought to be part of our DNA as the people of God. Uh, We call people to come and see, and when they come and see, what will they see beyond learning who Jesus is? 
Well, the, the fifth experience they will have and you will have, as seen here in this passage, is you're going to see greater things even than what you see when you meet Jesus. You see the story unfolding as we read it, that uh, Nathaniel goes and he gets uh, his, uh, Philip rather goes and he gets his friend Nathaniel and he says, you come and see. And uh, Jesus uh, saw Nathaniel coming toward him. He has this exchange with him and uh, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Jesus uh, says that uh, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. This is his exclamation as he realizes there's something special about Jesus. And Jesus then asks him this question. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And he went on to say, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And here he is reflecting upon the story of Jacob seeing the vision of the ladder in Genesis chapter 28 as he was leaving Beersheba and he's going toward Haran and he comes to this place known as Bethel. He, he sees the angels ascending and descending and uh, the Lord uh, opens this vision to him and promises him that wherever he goes, he's going to be with him. And he's going to fulfill the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he's going to be God to him, that he's going to give him descendants, and that he's going to give him the land. And now Jesus takes and he applies this illustration to himself. Jesus is the one who is this ladder upon whom the angels will ascend and descend. We're going to see Not only Jesus as he's presented to us in the gospel, but when we come to see Jesus Christ, the heavens are rent open, dear friends, for us to behold the wonder of the triune God. As we come to see God's word, we see the glories of the eternal God opened to our eyes. Jesus is saying to Nathaniel and to all of these others, You've seen a little bit by seeing me. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because you see, when we come to know Jesus, we don't simply begin to wander around on the face of the earth, wondering what new thing we will see next. No, what Jesus calls you to do is to follow him. And when you follow him, you will see greater things upon greater things upon greater things through the course of life. And in the final analysis, when you reach your expiration date, which is certain to come, what will you see if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? You will be on your deathbed. And what will Jesus do? He will send his angels to gather you to your heavenly home as you cross the river and you are embraced in glory itself by your Lord Jesus Christ. What a vision for us that we will see Jesus ascending and descending, receiving us to be his very own forever and ever and ever. There's no need to wander, friends. There's only a need to follow Jesus and to wonder at his glory and his splendor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, called us to be those who uh, follow you and who seek your face. 
And uh, Lord, we thank you that you have uh, shown us in your word as you've drawn others to yourself like Andrew and John and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel and so many others through the ages. You've shown us the glory and the beauty of following our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you today continue to change the hearts of people. And you take those who were once not following you and you make them followers of you all the days of their lives. So Lord, at whatever stage we find ourselves, at whatever age, we pray that you would give us grace, that we might fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would follow him all of our days. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. We're gonna sing Psalm 27. Selection D, and in this psalm, we make this uh, request of our Lord. We say, O Lord, teach me to follow you, instruct me in your way, and lead me on a level path because of foes, I pray. Let's stand, we'll sing Psalm 27, Selection D, and then remain standing for the benediction.